Hi, I'm Ray, and I live here in Long Island with my wife, Deborah. She's great with the kids, the house, everything. Oh, I don't know how she does it. We've got a daughter, Allie, and twin two-year-old boys. It's not really about the kids. My parents live across the street. That's right. And my brother lives with them. Now, not every family would go buy on a conveyor belt for you, but mine would, because... Everybody loves Ray. Everybody loves, everybody loves Raymond. It's me, Crystal. With me is Luke. I didn't know we had a theme song now. We do now. <laughs> and also Maxie. So it's a Let's Place reunion, everybody. <laughs> Except that Chelsea's not here and neither are any of the guests. Nor are we placing games. No. We're talking about Everybody Loves Raymond, Season 7, Episode 6, Episode Title, Robert Needs Money. Robert does need money. How'd y'all feel about this episode? This episode's <sighs> fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. This is above average. Above average. Uh, on the insanity level. On the, ins oh, on the insanity oh, yes. level, yes. Uh-huh, yes. Interesting. I thought you thought was it was pretty, regular. Yeah, I thought this was pretty, this is what Raymond's just like. This is why sure. it's such a classic program. I feel right, like right. everybody loves Raymond is usually an exaggeration of real life dynamics and not completely unlike anything that someone would do. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that all that, all that now, Maxie. I, I, I feel like this is more of a Seinfeld plot. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I can't I can't buy Robert Barone doing this, but I could absolutely buy George Costanza doing it's this. It's very uh parallel to like what's his name? Kenny Banya taking Jerry like getting Jerry to take him to dinner, but he didn't actually order an entree, so he doesn't count it as being taken to dinner. It's it's that tier, yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm not following what you're saying here. I, I just think it's a different sort of, like, pettiness than I have generally expect from the Barones, you know? Right. I just, it's an odd energy. It's an odd character beat for, for Robert early on when he just does such an intense 180. Like, it feels like this happened over the course of a day when if I don't know, it's, it's... If he had sat with the money for a couple days or something and then announced this, I would get it more. Here's the other thing is like this episode feels like it should have been a two-parter or something. Uh-huh. The, the, not only is the pace weird, it just sort of ends in a really weird and abrupt way. The pacing is bizarre. Like more than the content is just there's three scenes in this episode. It's an experimental stage play. There is a single plot. There's no B plot at all. Other characters just sort of waltz in to offer their opinion on the main thing and then walk back out. And then the plot just sort of stops when the time runs out. Yeah, it's interesting that there's no B plot. It's just, it's almost like this is like a, like a very special episode or something. Except it's not. <laughs> no, this, this episode has a very important moral and it's don't do something that nobody on the fucking planet would ever think to do. Uh-huh. It seems that the user reviews on imdb.com agree with you. Not very funny and doesn't make any sense. It's a funny episode, but it makes little sense. Yeah, okay, okay. I, listen, I've known some people in my life. We have some people in my family. This is not that out there to me. Uh-huh. As a thing a person would do. But the thing about TV and fiction in general is that people have to sort of act more rationally than they do in real life because they have to have, like, coherent personalities and character arcs for the audience. Has Robert previously been portrayed as a gambler? 
um, we've only watched three episodes of the show, <laughs> and we've done so over a period of like six years, Crystal. You know, with watching the show in general from your youth. I don't recall Robert being a gambler. Is he much of a gambler in this one? Obviously, he's going to Las Vegas, but... Yeah, I guess he doesn't actually mention gambling. He just talks about going to the buffet. It's really weird that in an episode where the pretense is Robert doesn't have money, and when Raymond loans him money, he plans to fuck off to Las Vegas. It's really weird how in this episode... Not even once is the concept of, well, what if Robert wins enough money to pay Ray back is floated, you know? Yeah, I kind of thought that was going to be part of it, and it's not. Like, that's the fucking comedic resolution, is he goes to Vegas, Raymond is stewing for the entire week, and then Robert comes back and he's like, hey, here's 1500 bucks. Right, sure, yeah, that's one way to end it. And Raymond is still mad, but he can't be justified in that anymore, or he can't feel justified in that anymore. Right, right, I hear ya. Like, I was also surprised they didn't go that way, but I thought it was a bit of a progressive message because they're not suggesting that you can actually win at gambling. True, yes. But ga- again, gambling is kind of not part of it. He wants to go to Las Vegas because he wants to submerse himself in the false reality of the strip where everything is good and the world is all condensed down onto one street. He can see the big uh, basketball they got there now. Yeah, he just wants to go look at the giant basketball orb. Let's summarize this episode. Yeah, okay. Robert comes over just to check in on his beloved family. I am immediately, like, on edge at the idea that, like, oh, God, if I had, like, family close enough that they would just walk into my house unannounced, that is... I wouldn't care for it. (laughs) But what if you love them very much? Okay, Ray does not love Robert very much. (laughs) That's true. Everyone in this family does hate each other. Yes. But Ray and Deborah are about to go to the movies. Yeah. And... (laughs) I guess Deborah does doesn't want to be alone with Ray because she invites uh, Robert with them. Well, I, no, Robert walks in. They're like, oh, hey, what are you doing, Robert? Oh, nothing. I thought I'd see what you guys were doing. Oh, uh, we're going to the movies. Oh. And then Deborah just like like, okay, Robert, would you like to come with us? And Ray just like smacks her from behind. I don't know why there's a laugh track when Robert says, oh, it's not really a joke. Because he's a lonely man. (laughs) Yeah. He has no friends, no wife. (laughs) He's pathetic, and that's that's funny. That's true. This is pre-girlfriend Robert. When does Amy show up? Well, so from what I, I didn't go super deep because I was asking the same question, because this is season seven. I thought they would have been married by now. They get married in this season. Uh, I think she is sort of an on-again, off-again thing with him. And right now they're off again. Uh... But in less than 30 episodes, they'll be married. That sitcoms for you, baby. Yep. Robert explains that because there's a 30-year low in crime, the police have been defunded. Yes. Everybody Loves Raymond effectively lives in... uh, It takes place in a utopian fantasy world where... Material conditions have an impact on how the government funds various services. Right. I love the idea that if crime went down, we would stop paying police as much. Oh, what a beautiful thought. (laughs) Oh, but Luke, now they're paying this brave police officer so little that he has to eat bologna sandwiches. He's Robert. He's not brave. (laughs) (laughs) He got shot in the ass that one time. He did. In the, in the fiction of this world, he is a brave police officer. I think the idea is that perhaps who he is when he puts on that noble, righteous uniform is different than who he is off the clock. Yes. You're saying he's sort of uh, the Clark Kent of the cops. <laughs> in a certain sense, sure. 
Isn't there an episode where Robert pulls over Ray and gives him a speeding ticket and Ray's like <laughs> just steaming mad that he's not uh, being allowed to exploit nepotism? Yeah, that sounds like a good episode. <laughs> I can definitely imagine Robert being kind of a hotshot at the police station, but then he's like, like Lenny from The Simpsons. You go to his home and you see that he lives like this. Right, uh-huh. Uh, but yes, Robert's very depressed. He's like, oh, you guys wouldn't believe how much money you can save by eating nothing but bologna every meal. <laughs> I even made a bologna pie. Yeah, you, re- you really could have gone harder on the uh, imagery in the Memphis arc, Luke. <laughs> he talks about making bologna casseroles, stew, and salad. So I guess he, he does have more ingredients than bologna. That's true. Well, at some point he did. <laughs> yes. As of this episode, he's down to just bologna. Also, I- I'm going to be honest. Bologna salad is probably just bologna on a bed of lettuce. And bologna stew is probably just bologna in water, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh my, that sounds disgusting i would also I mean, be concerned for robert yes the yeah, only def- because he doesn't know how to cook yeah uh <laughs> put some salt in there <laughs> oh in this economy you want him to buy salt i want him to buy some salt and this get some iodized salt you gotta watch out for your thyroid man you ever think about like most people alive like weren't around before we had like any kind of salt trade going they just couldn't have salt on their food uh, you know dip it in the ocean <laughs> Is that true? Oh, so yeah, that that might not be true given how population growth is. Uh, I guess that's out. true. Maybe that's true. Yeah, they got they had to get salt from somewhere. You do need it. Sure, but like even then, like if you don't have big trade networks, you only have like people near where you can get salt easily that have salt. Uh huh. I'm just saying, you know, for a lot of people, that just simply wasn't an option. They just got unseasoned hanks of meat over a campfire. It's no good. I think they could season their meats. Yeah, there's lots of things you can Where use Where do the animals seasoning. get their salt? Uh, here's the thing. I mean, like... Wait, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Crystal, you just said that as though you're implying that animals season their meat with salt. No, animals need sodium as a nutrient, presumably, oh, is what she's saying. Oh, of course, they're getting sodium. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they don't necessarily have it in plentiful enough supply to, like, cook with it the way we do. And I mean, the way, I, you know, I, a lot of people I, have throughout time. I, I think, time. realistically, the answer is that probably for most of human existence, we didn't have enough sodium. That might also be part of it. I don't know. We, we, we were probably running a bit of a deficiency. And then, you know, salt mines hit and it got better for some of us. And then the Industrial Revolution hit. And it's like, fuck, there's too much salt now. What do we do? I thought the thing about the salt trade was about preserving meat, not cooking with it. Sure, I that's definitely that a big part was, of it. I mean, preserving meat is a form of cooking, if you want to, if you ask me, you know? Yeah, but you need a lot more salt to preserve meat than to just sprinkle some in your stew. Where did ancient people get salt? Google will solve this for us. It's just going to say mines. <laughs> Early history of salt. Okay, I guess they got it from seawater. You know what? You can get salt out of seawater. Then <laughs> there's oh, yeah, a lot of that around. That shit. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm the dipshit here. <laughs> I guess you can simply go out to most water on Earth and just scoop up some salt. Although, you know, that does raise its own questions because, you know, people have been, like, living in the middle of continents and you can't really get as much salt there. No, but again, salt is perhaps, you know, you don't well, have to, what like... Was, what was some guy in prehistoric Mongolia doing? I mean, he maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a weird tangent. 
that maybe paints me as a fool and a rube. So maybe we should move on from it. <laughs> uh, can, can I just say, I do really like the conversation around uh, Robert's budget for two reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, one, I like that what shocks and horrifies Raymond is hearing that Robert uh, cut cable. Yes, he doesn't get cable anymore. He couldn't afford basic cable? And, and, and two, Deborah offers Robert some homemade cookies. Yes. And he brings them to the couch. Uh-huh. And he is just fucking double fisting these things. <laughs> It is as though she handed a bowl of peanuts to a squirrel. <laughs> I, I have absolutely been here when I'm depressed. Just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going through these cookies as fast as I can. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I am in one small respect on Ray's side here, which is Deborah. He keeps being like, can we go to the movie now, please? He's fine. And he's like, no, we have to deal with this. Like, we sh- they, they should give Robert some money. They could do it after they got home. They can catch the movie. It's not... He's not going to starve to death in two hours. He'll live. Well, then, then the mood will have passed. You know, that would have been time for them to perhaps talk about it and come to a more united decision about they it. They wouldn't be able to focus on the movie because they're just thinking about this. Yeah, yeah, it's true. What if they went to the movie and it was about a guy that was like so poor he died and then Ray just feels <laughs> ridden with guilt the entire time? I guess that'd be a, a little bit more of a dynamic script. Then you got a film in a movie theater. There you go. You have a fourth location for this episode <laughs> of television. So Deborah decides to give Robert a check for $1,000. Yes. And Ray doesn't like this because that means number go down. It means number go down. I also like Ray's line of, I like $1,000 though. <laughs> That's a really good line. Yeah. To me, $1,000 is worth more than the welfare of my brother. <laughs> Well, she does it and she goes, Ray, he's your brother. And he like shuts down like a robot. He's like, yeah, okay. You really get the vibes from this episode that Deborah's like the mother to these two grown men. Oh yeah, I mean, yes. That is often how she is depicted. She is speaking to Ray like a child who needs to be nice to his brother. Yes. And Ray doesn't actually, you know, they're not they're not hurting on bills. They don't even have any particular luxuries that they're like saving up for. He just doesn't want to see number go down. He just doesn't want to see number go down. Yeah. Uh, but he is eventually guilted into going out with her as Robert is licking the bowl of cookies for crumbs. <laughs> Well, you know what struck me about this part? Nothing to do with the actual, like, content of the episode, but, like, the set dressing. There's this, like, haphazard pile of board games on Ray and Deborah's living room shelf. Yeah. <laughs> and the video quality wasn't high enough for me to identify anything but Candyland. But now I'm curious, <laughs> like, what kind of board games they have. Do you think they would, do you think they have, like, Ticket to Ride? No, they, I don't think they have any cool board games, Maxie. It's all for their kids. Yeah, well, maybe their kids have good taste. I don't think they do. This is, you know, this is early days in fucking, this is what, 2002, I think? Yeah. You know, you're maybe seeing a Settlers of Catan in a big nerd's house during this time, you know? Yeah, was 2010 the board game boom? Around there, I feel like. I feel like it was was a little earlier than that, because I remember... That was well in place by the time I was in high school. Hmm. Yeah, okay. After a little back and forth, Robert does take the check and gives gives him a big hug. And this is very important. Ray frames giving him the check as a gift. Yes, because at first they say, well, listen, it's a loan. You'll pay us back whenever. And he's like, well, that's why I can't accept it because I don't know when I'll have the money to pay you back. So I just couldn't have that hanging over me. And then he looks like he's going to start crying. So Ray's like, okay, listen, just take it. Just take it. God damn it. How? Okay. My question is... 
Yes. And, and I'm not, you know, coming down one way or the other. I'm, I'm opening the floor to discussion. How much is Robert kind of turning it on a little? To kind of kind of putting on a bit of a show for them in this scene. We know that Ray, Ray would do something like that. Later on, Ray will accuse him openly of doing that. And the question, like, like Robert kind of just doesn't acknowledge the question. I think Ray is projecting the fact that he would do that. Okay, okay. I don't know. I don't know if Ray's that shitty. He does that at the end. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what he does at the end, Maxie. (laughs) Oh, right, to his wife. Well, that's different, because it's his wife. (laughs) Well, Oh, because it's his wife. He wouldn't do that to his brother. And the the fundamental (laughs) thesis of Everybody Loves Raymond is, uh, you know... Battle of the sexes. Right, right. Wives and husbands. What are you going to do? He definitely likes Deborah more than than Robert. Yeah, I think he likes Deborah more than Robert, but I also think he's more willing to, like, <laughs> mistreat Deborah. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. Admittedly, I have not... It's been a while since I saw a lot of this show. Right, right. I th- There is like, an undercurrent of implication that Ray and Deborah are doomed to eventually become Frank and Marie in old age. Yes, mm, that I can see. They will constantly have moments where they accidentally mimic the same fights that Frank and Marie had in front of them. Not a lot of Frank and Marie in this ep. They're barely in it. <laughs> you were saying, Luke? No, I just, I, I could see the argument that Robert came over to be like, Oh, hey guys, how's it going? Oh, you're going to the movies? That's cool. I can't because I don't have any money. Oh, don't give me money, though. No, no, no. I'm just going to mope on your couch about how broke I am, though. And like... I think it is the right thing to do to give him money, but, you know, I think he's maybe... Fucking ask for help, idiot. If he's not being manipulative, he's being really fucking clueless. Yeah, yes. Well, then again, he is a police officer, and this is something that cops are very good at. What, manipulating people? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I have a question. Huh? Why not simply shake people down for bribes? (laughs) What are you talking about, Maxie? The police are good guys. They don't do things like that. I don't know. I've been watching The Simpsons. Uh huh. A lot of jokes in that uh, revolve around the idea that police are corrupt. I just, I just think The Simpsons is really funny. Maxie, that's a cartoon. You know what? That's true. I, I should expect more realism from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> right, exactly. I believe that Everybody Loves Raymond is, if you were teaching American culture, you should show this program. I could see it. Yeah, you can really infer a lot about like 90s and 2000s culture from it. God, oh, hold on. I gotta look up, did Everybody Loves Raymond have a 9-11 episode? <laughs> oh my god, yes, me too. <laughs> Raymond have a 9-11 episode. You know, I'm thinking about period pieces now. Was there ever was there ever an episode of that seventy okay. show where they watched Happy Days? Apparently, they wanted uh, some people wanted to do a nine eleven episode, and the produ- the showrunner Phil Rosenthal said, "Fuck no, we're not doing that." Th- good job, smart move, Phil Rosenthal. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're on Long Island. They're close. They right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Ray's a sports writer, right? Yes, he's a sports writer. Do you think he had to write, like, an awkward column where he talked about 9-11, even though it's nothing to do with this shit? Yes, of course. Yeah, asked if he had uh, contemplated dedicating an episode of the show to the national catastrophic event. Rosenthal didn't skip a beat. Never. He said it wasn't our place. It was suggested to us, and I said, nope, nope, nope. That's not why they're watching us. Our job is to be a diversion from that. Officially a smarter man than every newspaper comic artist. Uh Yeah, you know what? Credit where it's due. (laughs) 
Could we have done the episode where Robert lost some friends on 9-11? Yeah, it would have been a very special episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, and nobody would like it because that's not what we're for. You know what? He understands his audience. He understands his audience. His audience of kids watching it because the TV never goes off in their house, and one day they'll grow up to do a podcast about this show. Now, here's where the episode gets interesting to me, because they go okay. over to uh, Frank and Marie's house. Yeah. And, you know, Ray kind of explains that he he did something nice for Robert as Deborah is telling him to shut the fuck up with her face. Right. I don't know why he's bringing it up. Don't tell these people about this. Well, that's why I think this is an interesting cross-section of American culture, because uh -huh. they're communicating here the, the idea that if you give someone a gift, they're basically beholden to you, even though it is a gift. That's where this goes eventually, yeah, yeah. If you don't pay it back with money, you still have to pay it back with, like, behaving the way they would like you to behave. Now, Crystal, I am, I, I'm going to offer some pushback here. I'm not an expert sociologist or anything, but I feel like uh, reciprocity and gift giving is more widespread than simply uh, in American pathology. Well, sure, I'm not suggesting that reciprocity is exclusively American. I just think this is an American form of it. Sure. Right, the idea that they, they should have some say-so over what Robert does with the money because they're the ones who gave it to him. Yeah. I, uh, I think this is actually a bit of an interesting question that Everybody Loves Raymond is not the forum to get into. Because I went in, yeah, hey, they gave it to him. It's, it's Robert's money to do with what he wants. But they did give it to him for a reason that he is blatantly flouting. On the other hand, we have to consider this lens. You know, we are looking at this from a person-to-person -person lens, which makes yeah. sense because this is a person-to-person -person interaction. Sure. But I think it is a reasonable assumption to say that nobody on this podcast would feel the same way about, say, someone passing a bill that says you can't use food stamps on hot food. No, definitely not. But I would say that's a... Because that is a Because big, that's institutional. That's institutional and, like, everybody's situation is different and there's no possible way... The more rules you put in something like that, the more you're going to fuck up people and, like, you don't know how people... You, you don't know what people's lives are. Ray and Deborah know what Robert's life is because he went on about it at length. This is true. But, I, but at the same time, if he wants to keep eating bologna pie to go to Vegas, I mean, shouldn't he have the right to? Yeah, I think the motivation behind that kind of food stamps legislation is similar to Ray's response here. I don't think so, because I think the rationale behind that kind of food stamps uh, legislation is to reduce the number of people that get food stamps and what they can do with it. Like, they're trying to reduce the net amount of food stamps in the world. I think part of it is, I'm I'm also making something of an apples and oranges, deliberately provocative comparison. Sure. I think if somebody was using food stamps to Vegas, to go to Vegas on vacation, even as a pretty leftist person, I think I would think twice about that. I'd be like, she really be going to Vegas, man? That pretty much sounds exactly like the kind of caricatures that Ronald Reagan would make up in his speeches and radio shows. That That's a very fair point. <laughs> should, should we understand this episode of Everybody Loves Raymond as fundamentally a distorted version of the welfare queen myth where the welfare queen is inexplicably also a successful policeman? I think you kind of can't 
help but think about it through that lens. I can't, at least. Because the other parallel here is that that money doesn't actually matter to Raymond. It's just a number in his bank account. He has no that reason to be so possessive about it. Right, if it was, hey, you know, Ray and Deborah are doing better than Robert, but they're not, you know, hey, this is gonna, they're gonna tighten their belts a little bit to help out their, their you know, family. And then he squandered the money. That is a different story than, yeah, we can afford to help you out, you know. That's the same way as like, you gotta pay taxes no matter what. Right. So why are you so concerned about whether people buy lobster or rice with it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's more the kind of thing I'm like, well, okay, if Robert needs another thousand dollars next month, perhaps I'm having second thoughts about whether he's getting it from me. But I mean, yeah, I gave it to him. He's got the right to do with it what he wants. But Ray is is so excited to... <laughs> brag that he did something nice for his brother for once in his miserable life yes and uh both of his parents hate it for different reasons even though he had to have his had his arm twisted by his wife to even do this right yeah that will he will simply uh glide right over that part of the story <laughs> he he has to get something out of this that's his his thought right frank hates it because nobody should help anybody ever <laughs> And Marie hates it because she should be all the one to help at all times so that she can maintain an iron grip on both her son's lives. Right. And I definitely thought at this point where this episode was going with Ray being such like a braggart about this is that like, oh, this has created a weird power dynamic between Ray and Robert that is going to cause like dramatic tension. I guess that is what the episode is. But also Robert kind of short circuits the entire thing immediately <laughs> by just taking it to its logical extreme. So Robert comes in, he's here to pack his bags because he's on a big silver bird at 8.45 tomorrow, 1.45, the Emperor's Buffet at Caesar's Palace. Hey, if Robert has his own apartment at this point, why is his stuff here? You know, I've moved out of my parents' house a few years back. I still have shit over there. Yeah, fair enough. What is he getting over here? Oh, his flip-flops, right? Yeah, In his suitcase, yeah. I think? Does he yeah. bring the suitcase or does he get it at the house? No, he gets it. That's the main thing he came for. Okay, then yeah, maybe he just hasn't been on a vacation in a while. Right, right. So how would they react if Robert just left and didn't tell anyone? <laughs> I mean, there wouldn't be an episode, I think. Yeah, I don't think they... Or or it would be the alternate episode treatment I proposed where he gets back from Vegas and he's like, yeah, I won big. And Raymond's like, you went to fucking Vegas with my money? Right. God, yeah, that would be better if he didn't know anything about it until Robert showed up with money to pay him back because he went to Vegas. And Robert's reasoning for this is that he'll always have bills to pay, but when is he going to have an extra thousand dollars to go to Vegas? Right, and Deborah's counterpoint is, well, that's not an extra thousand dollars. That's a thousand dollars to make up for the thousand dollars you'd ostensibly have if you were making as much money as you normally do. I, I'm not I'm not adding a pile, I'm filling a hole. Well, that's the interesting thing here about the psychology of having money. Right. Because when you do have a lot of money at once, it does feel like you have more than if you had gotten the same amount over a longer period. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So I understand what Robert's saying here. Right, no, I understand what he's saying too. I do think it is a bit like, regardless of whether you agree with him morally, it is deeply oblivious that he would not think about how this comes across to Ray and Deborah. Very much so. It was a gift. Granted, right, but, but yes. like you, yesterday night you gave them a sob story about how you are eating nothing but fucking baloney. Right. And I and now you're like do 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 on my way to Vegas. Yeah, even if I can see that, like, no, no, hey, it was a gift, it's his money, he can do whatever the fuck he wants with it, which I don't, I think that is a totally valid position to take. You must also think, oh, that will make them mad if I tell them about it. And he is completely taken aback that anybody would bulk at this. 
I mean, can, listen, can I be real for a second? Yeah. Um, I have been in a situation where I am willingly lending someone quite a bit of money so that yeah. they can sustain themselves. Sure. That is not like, that is not an act that does not leave a psychological burden on the borrowing party, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Yes. L- like it, it creates a situation where it's certainly better than starving, but that person is going to be like very aware the entire time that in some sense, their life exists because of an act of charity from somebody who cares about them. Right. And right. it creates it creates a weird vibe. And again, I thought this episode was going to be about that weird vibe, and it just yeah, isn't. Yeah, no, Robert's just like, do, 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 I'm having a great time. Yeah. Again, he's, uh, he's borderline a welfare queen stereotype. Well, you know what's a great cure to weird vibes? Huh. Las Vegas, baby. That's Las Vegas, Nevada, which Robert specifies, and then his dad makes fun of him for specifying, which got a little chortle out of me. <laughs> but yes, uh, Deborah is a little like, ah, uh, buddy, come on. Ray is blowing his top about this. He tells him that if you go to Vegas with that money, you're not my brother anymore. So, yeah, Robert simply storms out, goes home to his, honestly, sparkling clean apartment. Yes. (laughs) And he opens his fridge and gets a pack of bologna with no bread and half a bottle of orange juice, which is such a good image. Yeah, uh uh-huh. They do really act like, oh, God, bologna and orange juice. What a disgusting combo. That sounds fine to me. Now, listen, I don't think bologna and orange juice is inherently disgusting. I do think there's something a little sad about just, like, grabbing a slice of bologna and eating it straight. Oh, yes, I agree. I'm just saying that, like, the part where they're like, oh, it's so gross, I can't even finish. Like, whatever, it's It's juice and meat. What's wrong? (laughs) I I think it would be gross to have bologna in your mouth and then without swallowing, drown it in orange juice. I I wouldn't like that. Hmm, Maybe. I don't know. Back to back, maybe. Can I compliment a choice with the set design and costume in this episode? Is it that it's all beige all the time? I love how Robert is wearing a grayish brown polo shirt inside his brownish gray apartment. I just can't get over how much his his apartment looks like a hotel room. Oh, extremely. (laughs) This is not a domicile. This is not a home. Because it has no decorations or any, like, personal touches. <laughs> right, exactly. Robert is riding from Metal Gear Solid 2. He does have a very hotel art up above his fireplace. Yeah, that's maybe the main thing that's making me think that way. But like, I think they put a lot of care into making the Ramon house, or the Barone household, rather, look like this is a house where three kids live. Like, it's always a little messy in the background. And granted, uh, you know, Robert lives alone. But I've lived alone before, and my place has never looked this fucking clean. <laughs> Uh, maybe Robert's just a fastidious guy. I guess so. He's fastidious and beige. (laughs) But yeah, uh, Ray comes in to apologize for, uh, blowing up at him. And Robert's like, well, I appreciate that. It's really big of you. I think I understand where you're coming from. Anyway, I gotta go pack for Vegas. And then at this point, I am on Robert's side because Ray's like, wait, what the fuck do you mean? He's like, what? You apologized. What? What do you mean? It's understood in Everybody Loves Raymond that nobody actually means their apology. That's just something you say to defuse the situation. Right, yeah, yeah. But Ray is sorry that he got as heated as he did. He's not sorry for trying to tell Robert how to spend the money. Robert, don't get me wrong. Your relationship is worth less to me than a thousand dollars. Robert accuses him of being either a dictator or their mom, and Ray is... <laughs> understandably deeply wounded by the insult. (laughs) 
I, I like the part where they end up uh, fighting to give each other the check instead of to keep it. And Raymond, <laughs> I love uh, I love the line. Uh, it's worth a thousand dollars not to hear any of your crap again. Followed by my crap is true. Uh huh. <laughs> Because Ray now also thinks that uh, Robert is doing this Las Vegas trip on purpose to shit on Ray's gift. To be like, oh, I'll simply squander it because fuck my brother. You want to take my money because you think I don't even deserve it in the first place. And Robert gives him a look that's like, yeah, uh-huh, that's true, asshole. He, he needs a break from his life because he does not have a beautiful family. He does not have a wife and three kids. And then and then Ray's like, yeah, but I envy you because I got a wife and three kids. Yeah. <laughs> Am I, I right, to... fellas? <laughs> I would love to abandon my family and go to Vegas. Right, they... Ray, what if you did abandon your family and go to <laughs> Vegas with me? <laughs> they do the thing that everybody loves Raymond loves to do, which is take a sudden turn into completely unearned drama and like character like analysis where he's like, don't you understand? I'm doing this wacky sitcom plot because of my depression. <laughs> and uh, at which point Ray's like, oh gosh, well, don't you know, I'm also depressed because I got to hide in the bathroom to get any peace of mind for my family that you're so envious of. And then Robert says, why don't you just come to Vegas with me and we can just bro out. And Ray's like, well, hold on, hold on now. All right, and this, this seems like it's a, this seems like it's a setup for like something like at the airport or on the airplane, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, may, maybe they'll even be in Vegas, which will be skillfully done with a you know a stock shot of the strip and then a set of the interior of a casino. Right. Yeah. It seems like it needs some kind of button in that direction. Like honestly, the button on this episode should be that like Ray loses all his money at the casino and like Robert has to lend him money for a hotel room. But really, it was Ray's money in the first place. That ah. would make so much sense. Holy shit. <laughs> you can imagine maybe Ray learning a lesson where like, yeah, the first night he really enjoys himself getting time away from his family. But then he he does start missing his family and he wishes he could go back sooner. Well, listen, that's a whole character arc. We don't have time for that. This episode's basically over somehow. <laughs> for part two of this, I mean. Sure. Yeah. If you turn it into a two-parter, that's what you would do with it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just imagining a instead of this scene we're gonna get of Ray failing to convince Deborah to let him go. Uh, instead, you just have a scene where yeah, he's there and he fucks up somehow in Vegas. Hey, hey, Luke, can can you do me a favor? Can you do your Ray Romano impression and just say something along the lines of "All I have to do to solve this is lie to my wife." All I have to do to solve this is lie to my wife. <laughs> Thank you. I just, I really like that voice. <laughs> it is not at all a Ray Romano impression, but it is a voice. <laughs> no, listen. It's kind of a Kermit voice. It's a little bit Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> but this episode ends with Ray trying to put on a whole act to try to convince Deborah that Robert's really down and the only thing that would cheer him up is if they went to Vegas together. Yeah. Deborah sees through it immediately, even though I was kind of expecting Deborah to say yes, because then she can get some time away from Ray. That would have been a different good way for this to end of like, him like, ah, I tricked my dumb wife into letting me have some freedom. And then as soon as he's at the door, she's like, ah, I tricked my dumb husband into letting me have some peace. <laughs> Just really seems overall like an episode that could have used another pass or two. It is really undercooked. <laughs> They had one idea and they stretched it as far as it would go. Just like Robert's bologna sandwiches. Yep. Yeah. This this is a bologna pie of an episode, if I do say so myself. 
How's everyone feel at the end of this episode? Uh, well, like us or the characters? You. Oh, I've I've mostly felt like, wait, what? What do you mean that's yeah, it? Yeah, no, I, I was I was also just confused. I was like, oh, the credits? I guess it's been 20 minutes. I guess. Yeah, these 22-minute episodes go down smooth, I found. <laughs> I can see why people would just watch this for hours and hours. Right, right. That's really what it's... Th- this show was made to be syndicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess literally by this point, they've definitely passed the 100 episode mark by by season seven. Would you all like to answer some questions about Everybody Loves Raymond? I'd love nothing more. I would love to. August asks, what would you do if someone gave you $1,000, no questions asked? Oh, no questions asked. Just, just, I have been handed $1,000. It's just mine. Yes. Hmm. Uh, let's see, I'd get a tattoo that's probably like $200, $300, depending on the size and whether I want it fully colored. Yeah. Um, probably get like a fancy dinner for myself and one or more of my partners. Uh, and then I'd probably blow the rest on weed and video games. I'd be extremely boring and just deposit it. <laughs> I was gonna say that, but then again, in this economy, you know, it loses value quick. Sure. Maybe better to spend it immediately. I mean, uh-huh, uh-huh. now... I mean, you could just like buy cryptocurrency. Invest it. That'll only uh, get better. No, you could invest it in something good. Well, like, what what would what that's good thing could you invest in, Maxi? Blue chip stocks. Is that is that more morally justifiable? I'm not talking about morally justifiable. I'm talking about personally sensible. I feel okay. like I, I I think the invest it answer is the equivalent of I would wish for more wishes when asked what you you know wish for from a genie. It's kind of no. cheating. Okay, no, I don't think that's true because wishes are something intangible and broad. I think it is almost literally a parallel. Frankly, if... No, it's like the marshmallow test, you know? You can either eat the marshmallow now or you can have two marshmallows later. Uh-huh. It's, you're not you're not cheating. You're not going out back to get the bag of marshmallows and eat all those at once. It, it's cheating because the point of the question is, hey, wh- how would you blow a thousand dollars? Not that was not Crystal, read back the question. Verbatim. I'm talking about the intent of the question. And I'm Crystal, I'm, read I'm back doing, the question. I'm doing literary analysis on the question. I think you're projecting your own preconceptions. Crystal, read the question again. What would you do if someone gave you $1,000, no questions asked? Nowhere in there does it even use the word spend. You can do anything with that $1,000. I understand that, Maxi. I feel like if this is... If you are fine without this $1,000, if you don't need it, and setting aside all ethical questions, I feel like gambling on crypto, I guess, is fun. (laughs) Because even if you lose it all, you didn't need it. Right, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just saying, my employer hands me a check for a little more than $1,000 every other week, so I kind of already know what happens when when someone does that. This is an extra thousand dollars. Yeah, that's this is a thousand dollars. You don't have to budget for like important stuff. It it is a windfall. Right. Also, going back to the wishing for more wishes. Yeah. Uh huh. Three wishes is enough. Yeah, I think under so. an, yeah. under any circumstances. Sometimes a thousand dollars isn't. Okay, let me ask you this though. In in the genie situation, is the genie will the genie continue to be entrapped by the lamp? Let nah, entrapped by the lamp unless I use one of those wishes to wish for its freedom. <sighs> I think even then you can still do pretty well with two wishes. Okay, I'm just saying, like, that's that's an important part of the calculus. Th- this is true, but that's getting into, like, a moral dilemma rather than a pure optimization one. I feel like a lot of people think, oh, I'll save that wish for last or whatever. You gotta make that wish first so the genie doesn't fuck over your other two wishes. 
They've already given you the three wishes. They, no, they're not going to renege just because no, you freed no, them from the lamp. Luke, 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 Luke. What's up? What's I, up? I, would, I would argue the opposite, which is if you have an asshole genie and the first thing you do is free him, you know yeah. what he's going to be thinking about for those second and third wishes? What's that? Oh, this guy can't do shit. There's no way for him to retaliate. I think the genie will think, wow, what a stand-up guy. I'm going to I'm gonna jazz up his wish. I'm going to ironically twist his wishes to make them even better than he thought they'd be. If that's the kind of <laughs> because genie Because I like the show is, of good faith he made. If he's a good-natured genie, he's not going to fuck you over it, the first it, place. If you're, you're <laughs> positing this insane fucking swing state-ass <laughs> genie. I'm positing a genie that can recognize when you do something nice for them. But you're expecting to still get something out of it. You know, I don't want my relationship with this genie to be this transactional. I'm going to free... It is... Okay, hold on, hold on. The, the classic three wishes scenario is fundamentally transactional. What's he getting out of it? What's he getting from granting my wishes if I don't wish him free? You know? Nothing. So I'm trying That's to what be I'm nice. saying. I'm trying to be reciprocal. No, it's, it's what genies do, either because they're bored or because it's in their nature. It's, uh, so I say he gives me the two wishes because I'm pure of heart and I deserve two wishes and I free him because it is the right thing to do. Mm. I, really, I mean, that's the thing that like the Aladdin sequels really nailed down. You make friends with the genie, you do have unlimited wishes. Okay, but canonically, the the post the post lamp freeing wishes are less powerful due to the. Uh, I, I'm due, just saying it, it's due like to the when, machinations of genie magic due to the particularities. It, it's like when you're a teenager and you make friends with somebody that works at the movie theater, so that you have unlimited movies. It's like that, but for everything. I, I'm not familiar with that technique. Oh, I mean, I kind of fell into it on accident. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to make friends as a teenager. I mean, me neither. I just sort of fell into having a friend that worked at the movie theater, but I can imagine somebody going out of their way. My answer to the question is one step up from sticking it into a savings account, which is I'm going to go on a Costco shopping spree. Oh, sure. I'm going to be set for years. If I am like thinking what's a fun thing I'm doing with $1,000, I'm blowing it on Legos, baby. You're going to get one of those big, like, mixed buckets that just has a random assortment of pieces in it? Maybe that. I was thinking you buy, like, two or three really big, really complicated sets that are, like, a couple hundred apiece. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Man, it's insane how much Legos cost. They're so fucking expensive. They used to be cheap. Did they? I don't know. When I was growing up, they were, like, expensive enough that I'm sure I've told this story on, like, five podcasts at this point. But I got the Lego, uh, like, catalog as a kid. And yeah. I would always be like, oh, I want this set, and I want that set, and I want the Bionicle. And my parents would always be like, nah, no, nah, nah, little man, you're not getting any of that. <laughs> Legos cost money. The sets are expensive, but if you just get a bucket of Legos. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, I had a big bucket of Legos. It was fucking awesome. I had a lot of Lego software as a kid. They need to bring back Lego Interactive. Yeah. They kill it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, they weren't, like, making enough money on it to care. Wait, who's making Lego 2K Drive? Lego 2K Drive? <laughs> yes. What the fuck? <laughs> Is this, like, a C... Okay, well, it's being published by 2K, so I feel like Right. That's, that's why it's called sure. 2K Drive. Is this, like, a spiritual sequel to Lego Racers, or is it fuck just kind yeah. of its own thing? I mean, how would you tell? Damn, that's so true. <laughs> Uh, it's it's apparently made by Visual Concepts, which is the fakest fucking name for a game dev in the world. Mm -hmm. No, they make all the NBA 2K games. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying it's a fake-ass name for a company. They made San Visual Francisco Concepts. Rush. How's that guy doing that was, like, single-handedly making the fucking Skyrim but in the Bionicle world game doing? What? Oh, that sounds what? awesome. Oh, uh, have you never heard of that? No. <laughs> 
I'm trying to see if I can... Biotical Quest for Mont Nui. Huh. Or maybe it's Mask to Power? I don't know. There's a couple options coming up here. I remember, like, it coming to LEGO's attention and then being cool about it, which was sort of like, you know, hey, here's a company that didn't crush an innocent person under their heel, even though they could have. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here's, here's some video of it. I'll, I'll link you. You know, it doesn't look like the best video game ever, but it's, you know, a fan project, so you're gonna have some leniency on it. It looks pretty fucking good for a fan project, I'd say. It is a UE5 game, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this looks alright. Yeah. I got the Witch Time dodge. Did you have the, the flurry rush? Yeah. Here's our next question from M. What's the most you've ever gambled? It's the most I've ever gambled. Like a buck. Oh wait, no. I, I buy scratch cards once in a blue moon, like five sure. bucks. Yeah, I've, I've I've bought scratchers before. I used to have a bit of a poker phase, and I think the most I gambled at once was a hundred bucks. Did you win? Nope, I lost that round. Oh I, no! It's okay. I think I lived. My gut says it was probably a, a Smash Bros. money match. I want to say like twenty bucks, like not a lot. Maxie, what's your answer? I mean, I think it would just be five bucks on a scratch card. I'm not much of a gambler. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I guess I've played gotchas. God, okay. Gotchas I, I, are gambling yeah. adjacent, but I don't yes. think it counts for the purposes of the question if you can't make your money back. I was going to say, if there's no way to win money out of it, I don't think it, it counts. I think it's just abusing the same psychological tendencies that gambling addictions derive from. What if I spent my $1,000 on a best value pack? I would kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but what you, you, would, you, would, you would mention it on a podcast and I would be like, Crystal, you seriously spent $1,000 on fucking diamonds? <laughs> Virtual diamonds? Oh, but I'm think of how many... kill you. Think of how many you could open at the same time, though. I wouldn't want to. It's less special if you open that many at the same time. I don't know. I saved up as a kid one time and bought a whole box of Yu-Gi-Oh! booster packs, and that was a pretty good fucking day. That is basically the same thing. I would have gotten so bored of on of opening cards. No, because... No, 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 no. It was great. It was great. Well, because if I remember right, the way that worked is that every box had at least one... Or no, had exactly one secret rare in it. But there were two secret rares per set, so you were only getting one per box. Where is it in here? We gotta find it. Okay, you know what I will say? This wasn't uh. gambling, but one time uh, my dad took me out for sushi because I had like a good report card. Um, oh, sure. And he was, you know, he was giving me some money for it as well. And I was like, you can keep the money if you eat that whole thing of wasabi in one bite. Fuck. <laughs> and it was so worth it. <laughs> Wait, for your I, I dad to eat all the wasabi or you to eat all the wasabi? He did. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, I love it when I love watching people around me eat things that are unwise to eat. Yeah. Uh -huh. Not like I am, unhealthy, just painful. Right. God, I am a fucking baby about wasabi. I feel like the secret to eating a whole wab of wasabi at once is you need to keep it off your tongue, just get yeah. it down your throat quick as possible. But the thing about wasabi is like, it's gonna like get up into your nostrils and like burn in your throat. Like the, the experience doesn't really happen as much on your tongue as it does other spicy food. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like it blows out my sinuses when I have a little bit of wasabi. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, wasabi's awesome because, uh, you know, it's got that kick to it, but it doesn't linger on your tongue and throat. That's what always gets me about spicy food. Like, I like spicy food, but it lingers. Yeah. It does linger. Yeah. No, I like the lingering. No, I want to feel it for hours. No, I I like most spicy food. I I'm not I'm not a wasabi guy. Feeling the lingering on my tongue is like a reminder to my monkey brain that I just ate a nice meal and I feel good. Sure, sure. Last question comes in from Aurora. What's your favorite thing to put in a sandwich? Like any sandwich? 
any sandwich. Boy, I mean, we we got to define some parameters because sandwich is just such a, you know, I'm, I'm, there's things I'll put on many sandwiches, but, you know. I have an answer for this. It's something I discovered recently is honey. I found that honey mm. works really well with a nice savory sandwich. I could see that. I, I, could see I might that. have to try that. I have some roast beef. Uh, For me, you know, kind of related to our uh, discussion a few moments ago, love some horseradish sauce, you know? Hell I yeah. yeah, I can do a little kiss of horseradish. Yeah, I, I'll do horseradish before I do straight oh, up wasabi. I'm slathering that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a sandwich that I wouldn't like to have pickles on? I don't. Ah, peanut butter and jelly. Shit. I don't know. I might want to try that. I think the sourness and like the. Yeah, I don't. I don't when think I so. When I was a kid and I was really sick one time. Yeah. Uh, I went to make myself lunch and I decided based on the items we had in the fridge and my meager cooking skills to just make a peanut butter and pepperoni sandwich. Mm-hmm. That was all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds all right. I definitely had the that fucking time of like, what's the grossest food I can make just from stuff in our fridge? Um, and like, I I don't think I ever did anything like all that fun with it because I was a dumb kid and couldn't think of like really gross stuff. I think the best I got was like like a pickle with whipped cream on it, you know, that kind of thing. Crack an egg on a bologna sandwich, but like, don't cook the egg. And I just I didn't want to eat that was the problem. Wait, don't don't cook the egg? No, just a raw egg on a bologna sandwich. Ugh, what? How does that stay on? I mean, it doesn't really. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, you know, you know what's great on any sandwich though is just a, like a, a fried or scrambled eggs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Again, though, see, peanut butter and jelly is the real problem here. I think you could make. I think if you got like a brain genius cook in there, he could find a way to like make some fried egg whites on a boutique peanut butter and jelly sandwich tastes like a dream i guess if you made them into like um what do you call it uh uh mayonnaise not well no i was thinking more like uh is meringue what i'm thinking of where you like whip the egg whites really oh yeah i think you i think that might be yeah. you know if you did something like that you know there's desserts that you make out of egg and maybe that would go well on a pb and j uh you know what might work with a pb j and soy sauce get a little bit of saltiness uh, in the mommy i in don't there. know i don't know maybe I, when I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I don't think I'm ever saying to myself, this is okay, but I wish it were more salty. I feel like the peanut butter has that covered. I think the soy sauce... peanut butter? <laughs> I, I can almost see soy sauce and peanut butter working. I can't see soy sauce and jelly working. Hmm. Like, if I was making some kind of sauce by combining peanuts and soy, I, I could see that. Aurora has a few more questions, actually. All right, okay. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think the following episodes in the series will address Robert's lowered income? I don't think it'll ever come up again. Yeah, no, this is a one-episode concept. Is there some episode where, like, Amy makes more money than Robert? Maybe. Does that happen? Does Amy have a job? Does Amy have a job? I don't know. Let's see. I, I'm looking through other, like, the season seven episodes after this. Uh, next episode, Deborah's tired of sharing all her space with Ray, so he decides to give her exclusive use of their bathroom while he shares the kids. Okay. Ray and Deborah are excited to finally have met a couple who are just like them, uh, but I think they have a shitty kid. Uh, Robert thinks he has finally found the one in Angela. She's an international trade lawyer whose bright speaks four languages, clearly loves Robert, and seems too good to be true. Okay, so I'm gonna say no. It seems like there that this would be Robert marrying up. Oh, definitely, but he's marrying up even if he's back to his normal pay scale, you know? Right. He's simply a humble police officer. 
Do you think Robert does go to Vegas or spends the money on rent? If Vegas, then does Ray join against the behest of his wife? I mean, I think I the way I interpreted this ending is Robert's hella going to Vegas and Ray yeah. is not and he's going to be mad about it. Robert is going come hell or high water. <laughs> Nothing will keep Robert away from those, you know, uh, that, that oasis in the desert. If Frank gets hit by a car, Robert is sending a card. Yes. <laughs> and lastly you get to go on vacation somewhere in america what place would you want to go to um i really like the scenery out in like denver that part of colorado you know i like mountains this is a hard question for me because i've been to a lot of america and also uh i have plans to visit multiple places within america in the next year hey <laughs> so yeah where are you most excited about let me think about it differently. Let me think about aside from the plans I've made and assuming right. I had like as much money to spend as I wanted. Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to feel bad if you say you don't say you're excited to come to Dallas. It's not an exciting tourist destination. <laughs> yes, but I'm very excited to see my friends uh, and, you know, support it, it, support one of them in a, in a very important moment. In it'll his be life. a great time, but it will have nothing to do with the locale it's in. <laughs> OK, that's true. Um Damn, where? Man, I really want to go to, uh, I want to go to Rhode Island. I really want to, I, you know what? I could really stand to go to Maine again. Maine's sure. real nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas is basically the Cleveland of the South. Oh, God, really? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. What does that mean? Okay, I lived in Cleveland. I'm allowed to be mean to Ohio. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't quite understand the Cleveland stereotype, much less how it would be transposed onto the South. The Cleveland stereotype is that it's just kind of blah. It's just kind of like, it's like the fucking, if you downloaded a city asset pack from like the Unity store, it would basically be Cleveland. Uh-huh. And I think that that's basically what Dallas has going on, except, you know, geographically it's in Texas. What makes that different from, like, Chicago? Chicago's Chicago got the characters. mafia and hot dogs. <laughs> What's it, the character of Chicago? I've never been. Uh, well, there's a pretty vibrant theater scene, though. Not not necessarily to the same extent as New York, though. Um, admittedly, I don't know as much about the off-Broadway theater scene, but I get the got impression that, cool that we have bean. more independent theater. Has the cool bean. Uh, the architecture is great and really varied in a way that I find isn't always the case in a lot of cities. Um, there is... Let's see. You Elevated know, a, trains? Well, they have those in New York, but they don't have them in a lot of American cities. It's true. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I think about as distinctly Chicago. Fucked uh, up hot dogs complimentary. There's the there's the Greek and Polish populations, which I think are very interesting. Obviously, listen, I was in Greek Town a couple weeks ago with Rexy. Oh, I fucking love it. Um, oh, the Chicago hot dog's good. Chicago yeah, hot dogs yeah. fuck hard. Yeah. Italian beef, also great. Um... I have had a Chicago hot dog before, and I, I enjoyed the taste of it. I did have a very hard time keeping everything in the bun as I ate it. That was That's my only problem, criticism. Yeah. I really like our museums. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I'm sure every major city in America has an art museum, but I think there's sure. a very specific character to the Art Institute that I like a lot. Uh, and also just it's huge and there's so much different stuff there that it's a great time. Um, and I also love the Field Museum. Field Museum is maybe the best museum I've ever been to. All right, you sold me. I'm going on vacation in Chicago for my answer. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Crystal, we the Windy City? Yeah, let's say I do have like 10 different friends in Chicago. Damn. That's the thing. I feel like at some point Chicago just became like one of the major transgender destinations. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the, the migration target in Victoria Three Terms. The podcast <laughs> capital of America. That's so true. <laughs> See, what you're saying is that Chicago stole all of Seattle's flavor. We <laughs> stole the good parts. Seattle got way too fucking expensive. Yeah. Oh, listen, that is the most amazing thing about Chicago is that, like, you get Coastal City vibes without Coastal City rent. Like, it's still not super cheap to live here, but compared to Seattle or New York or some shit, my God. That concludes our episode of Everybody Loves, Everybody Loves Raymond's. Fantastic. Maxie, would you like to plug anything? Um, I mean, you can find me on Tumblr at Max Knightley, M-A-X-K-N-I-G-H-T-L-E-Y. I'm also on co-host, same URL. Uh, I'm on a podcast called Video Games, the Movie, the Podcast. We just recorded our episode on Lara Croft Tomb Raider the other day. So that should be going up uh, sometime either this month or early next month. Uh, and I'm on an actual play podcast called Eidolon Playtest, uh, which... I imagine anyone listening to this already knows about. <laughs> uh, but just for the sake of the bit, I will clarify. It is uh, based on a system that Luke and our friend Molly wrote, uh, deriving a lot of inspiration from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Persona. Uh, but even if you don't like those, I think it is sufficiently its own thing that you could still get a kick out of it. Uh, I'm really proud of the work we're doing. Uh, the current campaigns are Disco and Ska, which are period pieces set in 19. 79 and 1999 respectively following the adventures of uh teens who are theoretically solving mysteries and uh -huh. mostly just trying not to die or be crushed by the weight of the world as we all must it's a lot of that old uh kate beaton comic of the mystery solving teens that were like there's a crime happening but they're just smoking behind the building it, it's it's like kate beaton's mystery solving teens if there were still criminals and they just punched each other instead of doing any deductions you know right uh-huh Mystery Solving Teens was so fucking funny. Parker <laughs> Vagrant was great. I miss it every day. I miss it a lot. I'm glad she's doing well. I really need to check out Ducks. I hear it's extremely good. But I do miss her goofy history comics. Luke, what's your what's your stuff? Uh, mostly what Maxie said, the Eidolon thing. I'm the guy what GMs that one. Uh, you can also find me, however, on uh, My Wife, She Loves That Reprise Show, a Columbo rewatch podcast. Uh, we're just talking about Columbo. A, a better show than Everybody Loves Raymond, I'll say it. You can find me on Show Me the Batcave, where Luke and I talk about Batman movies. That's also true. Uh, you can find me on Playtest. I'll probably put this in the Medora feed. I mean, that's but traditionally where it goes. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to listen to me talk about Zelda or Metroid, listen to the Book of Medora. On yeah. this you're, already, you're already on the podcast feed. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've placed Everybody Loves Raymond on the Zelda timeline, Crystal. Right. It happens uh, right before Darksiders. Right, yeah, during the 10,000 years between the two calamities, which means that Raru exists in the same continuity as Ray Barone. I think Raru is a better husband than Ray Barone. I would just watch a sitcom that's Sonya and Raru. That'd be so fun. He has to pretend <laughs> to be a king for his wife. Right, yeah. I just want, like, married with children, but it's Raru, Sonya, and Zelda. Well, they don't have any children. I'm saying, well, they have Zelda. She's an adopted child. Okay. She's an adopted adult child. Okay, that's fair. And also, they definitely had kids. <laughs> they did not have, I, you don't see any kids on the screen. They, they basically say out loud that Zelda is their direct descendant. It takes a Blue's Clues level of deductive reasoning to put that inference together. And yet they don't mention the kid. I grant that, but even so. 
Crystal, I want you to explain to me by what mechanism Zelda is anyone's direct descendant if sex was not involved. I don't know. That's that's the mystery I'm trying to solve. Believe me, I am hard at work researching this this issue. I think their working theory is that she is like the direct descendant of a nephew of Sonya and Raru or something. That's not a descendant. <laughs> I know. Right, no, I'm the one that's saying she is a direct descendant. But there's no baby. The baby is implied. (laughs) Thank you, Maxie. Who's taking care of the baby? The nursemaid. The royalty. Come on. We get the the, the, the chamberlains. The chamberlain doesn't mention it. Crystal, the person taking care of the baby is that time period's impa. No, we get the tablets from that time period's impa. She doesn't mention it. I don't know if that's impa. It's the chamberlain. That's impa. I'm just saying. Let's close that with a Raymond joke. Yes, but we already had so many on the TV show. <laughs> this one's better. Oh. This comes in from upjoke.com slash Raymond dash jokes. Did you know Raymond Burr had a brother who was a lumberjack? His name was Tim. Boy, that was that was a long walk for a short drink of water. That was not a long walk. That was a short walk for a short drink of water. <laughs> I need to go get some water. I'm thirsty as fuck. Do you think Upjoke.com is going to get infiltrated by, like, AI bullshit? Probably, yeah. Are you I not going to be able to trust the integrity I, I of these with, jokes anymore? With jokes like Tim Burr, I think it may already have been. No, there's a fundamental there's a fundamental humanity to the shittiness of that joke. So I've, I've never been to the Upjoke.com main page. I want you to type that into your browser right now. <laughs> sure, I'm doing it right now. Upjoke.com. Wowzers. Oh wow. my god. This is <laughs> this this is some uh college students first time using uh, HTML and CSS. Oh, every time you load the page it's a different background image. Holy shit. And they're all That's funny. A- <laughs> they're all so funny. I wish I could see them more clearly without all these bricks in the way. <laughs> what? What? Let me see. Hey, hey, Crystal. Uh-huh. What if we did a podcast which is just about us going through every category on Upjoke.com <laughs> and critiquing the jokes therein? There's a lot of jokes, We though. can start with Sweatshop. Get, okay, okay, hit me with one. Uh, asked to give a statement after a cigarette sparked a fire that burned down a sweatshop where their products were being made, Old Navy replied, It's a travesty. A truly horrific travesty. Nobody should be allowed to sell cigarettes to children that age. Shh. <sighs> I'm going to give this joke an F. Yeah. Uh, no, okay, well, Crystal, maybe I should explain it because I'm not sure you got it. Okay. Uh, the the joke is that uh, they're using child labor and child labor is also bad. Yeah, I understood that. I, I caught that. I just don't think it's a fun joke. That's sort of a, you know, a stand-up comedy special joke where they don't actually tell any jokes. Okay, so you're, you're going to downvote that one? Yeah, I'm downvoting that one. Uh, related categories, minimum wage, factory, Bangladesh, clothing, car wash, laborers, slavery, brothels? Jesus. Janitors. <laughs> Garments. Okay, here's, here's a minimum wage joke that I think is okay. I give this at least a C. Okay. What's the difference between a bench and a minimum wage? Okay. A bench can support a family. <laughs> All right. I like that one. Got kind of like a Mitch Hedberg quality to it. If Mitch Hedberg did two liners. <laughs> okay, Luke, you got to do one now. All right, sure. I, I clicked on millisecond. So here's a millisecond jokes. <laughs> uh, top joke on here. No one understands the importance of milliseconds more than a volunteer firefighter. It's the amount of time they have between meeting you and telling you they're a volunteer firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> 
finally, Pacific. finally taken volunteer firefighters <laughs> down a peg. Now, now, Crystal, you say that specific, but I would argue that's a joke where you could replace volunteer firefighter with anyone who personally annoys you. <laughs> that's what it, makes it so good. It, it is a right. Mad Libs joke. Yeah, that's what makes it so relatable. I like that you have to confirm that you're over 18 to read jokes with profanity in them. We can't we can't let minors know the word damn exists. <laughs> Do we have anything else to say on this podcast? I don't think so. You signed off like 15 minutes ago. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.